0: What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Thank you for joining the first edition of the Rod and Real podcast. I'm Rod Beard. I'm your host, beat writer for the Detroit News, for the, covering the Detroit Pistons, and sports writer of just about everything for the Detroit News, going on 18 years now, and just glad to have a podcast now and to get things started here. So I want to welcome all of you. Uh, to join me some of you may know me just from my writing with the detroit news others f- from twitter things that i've done there but i wanted to start a podcast as well to put a different vehicle out there to express some things that don't always get into print or don't always get to tweet and maybe get a little bit more space for that this is going to be a weekly podcast on the detroit news website and it's not just going to be one thing. It's not going to be all Pistons all the time, though it will be heavily Pistons. There will be some other things, and I want to try to expand it out as well, do more NBA-related things, have some guests and some interviews on here as well, discuss some off-the-beaten-path things like DFS, Daily Fantasy Sports stuff, uh, that I've gotten into in the past couple of years and done a little bit with on Twitter, and and certainly there's a fan base for that. I'll talk a little bit more about that later And do some other things, some interesting things like road stories, things that go on on some of the road trips, things that we do uh, out there when we're not writing and not covering the team. Uh, There's some fun activities, fun things, um, some nights out uh, that are always fun to talk about. So I'll get into some of that stuff, too, and just what that life is like. I know there are a lot of aspiring writers, aspiring sports writers and bloggers and people who want to kind of know how I got to the spot I'm in and uh, what that road is like. So I'll, I'll go behind the curtain a little bit and tell you. Uh, some of the things that go on on the road and, and some of the stuff that just happens. Uh, and then another piece I want to get into is just writing as a craft and a career, uh, that there are plenty of people who have asked, hey, Rod, how do I get into uh, doing sports writing? Where did you start? What did you do? And just a little bit of a brief background. Like I said, I've been with the Detroit News for going on 18 years. It'll be 18 in December and uh, started as a freelance writer. And um, when I was when I graduated, and uh, was looking for somewhere to write and something to do, Uh, there was a strike going on still with the news and free press and a lot of folks said, don't cross the picket line, don't do that. So I did some freelance stuff and finally got back to the news, started doing high school sports and then got into um, some general sports writing and covered the Michigan basketball beat for five years and then this is my fifth year on the Pistons beat, so it's really come around from just starting and and my base and and all of my beginnings were in the high school sports arena and certainly appreciate those folks and when I I get an opportunity to still do high school sports I love to do that and interact with people anyway. So that's kind of the layout of of what this podcast is going to be about but I want to start with uh, the Pistons obviously and going through this preseason and training camp and what this roster looks like and Certainly, they're a different team than they were last year. The starting group, pretty much the same. Tony Snell, the only addition, and that was through a pre-draft trade that they were able to to unload John Lure, bring in Tony Snell with the Milwaukee Bucks. And they didn't have a small forward on the roster at the time that could probably play starters minutes. Tony Snell is going to do that. Then in free agency, they went out and got Derek Rose, Markeith Morris, Tim Frazier, and later added Christian Wood and Joe Johnson. And that's going to be the majority of the bench group that they have. And we've seen a little bit of that in the preseason so far and how that's worked. And and the first person to start with, obviously, is Derrick Rose coming over from Minnesota to be a six-man spark plug type guy. And let me get this straight from the the very beginning. He will not start. I've heard from, from several sources who have said that's not the plan for him is to come in and to start. It is more about having him be that bench spark plug to come in. And not because he can't start. He probably could start from a skill set perspective. It's more of they're going to try to manage his minutes and try to make sure that they can extend him through the season about as much as they can. And that target number might be about 65 games, 70 if they can get there. But there will be load management. There will be games that he doesn't play. And the same with Blake Griffin, frankly, is that they're not going to try to push him because they learned a lesson from last year of once they got to the playoffs and they needed him and they didn't have him available, that really torpedoed any opportunities they had if they even had any against the Bucks at all anyway. But if they had an opportunity to win a couple of games in advance, not having Blake Griffin for those first two set the tone for the rest of the series. And that just went downhill. But getting back to Derrick Rose, they see him as a guy who can come in and change the pace off the bench much like Ishmith did with his speed, but Derrick Rose adds a scoring element and a finishing element at the rim. And and to some degree, even a three point shooting uh, piece that Ishmith did not have. So they feel like they've upgraded at the backup point guard position because Rose is a dynamic player and he can play with Reggie Jackson. If you want to do a hybrid uh, guard combination, There, both combo guards, both can play off the ball or with the ball and, We've already seen how Reggie Jackson has moved off the ball a little bit more with Blake Griffin in the starting lineup. And so you can streamline some of that and see where Rose Rose fits in with that. And just for a a small skosh, we saw what looks to be the, the Pistons' best lineup with Jackson, Rose, Luke Kennard, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond, that they can fit all of those guys on the court at the same time. And they may finish games with that group. It may be something else where Tony Snell finishes or Bruce Brown finishes so that's where why it's important to have Rose, because he can do so many things. And we've seen that in the preseason already, that he's averaging over 14 points a game. He's their leading scorer in the first three preseason games so far. So again, he will not start. It's just not going to happen, that they want to manage him a little bit more than that. Other piece about Rose is he's very intense, and I've seen that through the first couple of weeks of covering him both in training camp and now in the preseason dude is just intense completely that in the, the scrimmage at Michigan state, he was going at the refs about calls in a scrimmage about he didn't commit the foul or he didn't travel. And that's just the way that he is in the conversations I've had is just, he's very much about his business and doing things a certain sort of way. And, even in the one of the first games, the second preseason game, uh, they lost. But he heard, um, or is the first preseason game, the MVP chance, and they lost the game. His quote in the locker room afterwards is, "I'm a winner, bro. I, that stuff doesn't matter to me about the, the MVP chance. It's more about winning this game." D Rose, it's the pre, it's the preseason, bro. You you got. 87 games total that you got to deal with this. But that's just the way that he's cut. That's, that's the dude that he is. Is I'm a winner, bro. I don't care if it's a preseason game. I don't care if we're out here playing hopscotch or playing marbles or, well, that's probably too old references for people to pick up. But that dude wants to win at whatever he does. And that's going to be something that's very important in that Pistons locker room and on the court that they have another guy who has that winning type of mentality and win it at all costs and do whatever you got to do to win. We've seen that Blake Griffin is that same dude. First regular season game last year, they won the game, but Glenn Robinson the third missed a defensive assignment. The shot missed, and the Pistons ended up winning. But Blake Griffin wasn't happy. He was barking still about, you missed the assignment. We won this game, but we might not win the next game. And that's important to have that mentality and have a guy like that. You have one in Blake Griffin, but now you have another in, in Derrick Rose. And... The locker room respects both of those guys immensely, and it's just going to be important to see how that extends with having both of those types of guys and and two guys that are like that in that locker room and how that manifests itself throughout the rest of the season and if that translates into wins because people are listening to them and they're trying to make a cultural change in how things are done. Obviously, one of the other breakout players in preseason so far is Christian Wood, a guy that the Pistons picked up on a non guaranteed contract. 6'10, stretches the floor, very athletic. And what's impressed me about him in the preseason is that you notice him. He makes plays that make you notice him. He gets in the middle, he can go on the pick and roll, and he finishes hard at the rim. And just long arms, block shots, gets rebounds. That first game, 19 points, eight rebounds. He, he was the best player during the times that he was on the court for the most part. And that's saying something for a guy, for the most part, who's going to be considered a last 15th spot roster guy. With with him and Joe Johnson, it looks like those are the two who are going to be vying for that last roster position. And that's been said that those are the two. It may not turn out to be that way. Joe Johnson is uh, respected. He's a veteran, 18 years in the league. He's done so much, MVP of the big three, blah, 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 blah. One of these guys, if, if things continue the way that they seem, is not going to make the roster. And I don't want to tell you it's going to be Christian Wood because of the way that he's played that you can't tell me that he can't fit on this roster somehow, some way. But given the construction with guaranteed contracts, there are 14 guaranteed contracts. Joe Johnson has a partial guarantee for about 200000 I think the report was. And Christian Wood has no guarantees on his deal but again, the camp battle going in was that Wood and Johnson were going to vie for that last spot. Don't rule out the option that the Pistons just look and make a trade, open up another roster spot, and keep both Johnson and Wood and something else. And I'm, I'm not going to speculate on who that trade would be because it could be any of a number of people. It could be one of the younger guys. It could be um, Thon Maker because Wood plays that same type of position um, and, and they could decide that between Wood and Johnson, and, Maker that they're just only going to have one of those guys. I can't see them trading Wood because I think he he brings a lot to this team. They haven't had a dynamic backup center probably since Aaron Baines, and he didn't really shoot from three a lot. He was a perimeter big, but not all the way out to three. He's turned into that since well, as he moved over to Boston, but Wood seems to be what they would want from a center, a young kid, 23, 24, that can bring you that type of energy and that type of production. Again, and Dwayne Casey has said, the issue with Christian Wood is his consistency. Can he do it on a consistent basis? Three-game sample size, not a lot in the preseason so far, but he has brought that same energy. And defensively, I think he can be something different for them. And it's not saying he has to be the backup center. We've seen him play uh, last night against the... Cavaliers he played with Drummond he played with Makers so they can play off of each other in a certain way it's just going to take some ramping up to figure out how those two bigs are going to play together. Touched on Joe Johnson for a little bit he had a better game against the Cavs and that partial guarantee I would say gives him the leg up in terms of what the commitments are financially to the roster right now but is he going to be a guy that can finish games and, and is he a guy that can jump over? Tony Snell, and get some of those additional minutes. That might be what the rest of the preseason is trying to figure out. And he got an extended look against the Cavs when Blake Griffin was out, Markeith Moore started, and Joe Johnson was that next power forward type guy to come in. So he could play a little three power forward in smaller lineups, but Joe Johnson has not had that breakout noticeable game that Christian Wood has had a couple of already in the preseason. I just don't think it's a Johnson or Wood type camp battle for that last roster spot, I think that the bigger percentage might go toward there being a trade and opening up a roster spot some other way. Because I I can see where people in the Pistols organization, some would would say Joe Johnson should be that guy. But the eye test for me, and and I go by the Moet index, that's something I've, I've cooked up. Moet is my own eye test. And that index says that Christian Wood is the guy that they would lean toward. But still got another week or so, almost two weeks before those decisions are made. Christian Wood's guarantee date is the 21st and Joe Johnson's, I believe, is the 23rd, uh, right before the regular season starts. So we'll see how all of that stuff shakes out probably in the next 10, 11 days and which one of those guys or maybe both make the roster. Tony Snell we've seen a little bit of and the thing that sticks out to me in the preseason so far, is he's not afraid to shoot the ball, and he fits in well with that starting group as a, a long-armed small forward. He can sit in the corner and do the things that everybody wanted Stanley Johnson to do, but that just wasn't his skill set to shoot the corner three and have some success at it in the, the high 30% range, maybe up to 40%. Tony Snell has a, a defensive acumen the same way that I think just fits in, and whether they're going to have Bruce Brown be that other wing spot as the shooting guard, that's something that you still have to figure out. Bruce Brown had a a nice game against the Cavs as well. 15 points, seven assists, five rebounds, and he finished out the game, and, and he showed a lot of that progression that he made in summer league with being a facilitator and distributor that that's starting to pay off, and that's the type of player that he can be that will gain him more minutes on the floor, and if he can continue to do that, you could see Bruce Brown play a lot more minutes there. And that's all I'll do for the roster construction right now. Some of the, the new guys and what that looks like. Speed Luke also has been pretty good in the minutes that he's gotten that I think he'll vibe for some rotation minutes. It's just going to be hard for him to break through because Casey probably is going to go 9, 10 deep. And Luke is right on that edge of being number 9, number 10, number 11, somewhere in there, depending on what the game situation is. Another big issue in training camp and at the beginning of the year is Andre Drummond's contract, and uh, he's coming up toward his player option for next year, which is for 28.8 million. And if you would have asked me last year, I would have said there's no way a guy's going to turn down 28.8 million. And then you see what Al Horford did: turned it down, signed with the Sixers, and. That's just what the market is right now as guys are turning down big deals in order to move to another team and have that flexibility to do what they want. Drummond may be a different case i don't know if he can go out on the open market and get twenty nine call it thirty million from another team. There might not be that value of a traditional center around the league because when you think about it, most teams either have a young low cost center that they're developing or They've already got a big-time center, your Joel Embiid's, your Rudy Gobert's that they're paying big money to. So to say that another team is going to go out and and feel like Andre Drummond is the piece that they're missing that's going to take them to the next level from a a fringe playoff team to a definite contender or a contender to being one of the top-tier contenders is really hard to fathom. That market doesn't seem to be there right offhand. But a team might look at that and say, hey, this is the one thing that they're going to pay. $30 million is a lot for a center in this league if you're not Joel Embiid, if you're not Rudy Gobert, if you're not uh, Jokic, if you're not one of those top couple of guys. To see that much of a salary go to one guy who doesn't impact the game in the similar way that the elite, elite players in the league do it's just there's a small market for that, and a small possibility that that's going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Whether drumming gets a max deal, and if that's something that the Pistons are going to bend down to and say, uh, "We'll give you the money." And, and Tom Gorris, for the most, for the for what it's worth, when he was here at the opening of the practice facility in Midtown last week, said that they're talking. The the discussions are open. To me, it would seem if they were going to offer Andre Drummond a max contract, they would have done it already. And it feels like more the situation is they're going to see how this year goes. And if this is a playoff year and they get somewhere in the mid-40s, up to 50 wins, and he's an integral part of that, then yeah, they would be more than willing to open the checkbook and to keep him around as being that guy who's the face of the franchise. But again, if he doesn't impact winning the way that the new front office deems that he might and he would he might need to in order to deserve $30 million a year, then I don't think they'll go in that direction. Now, the trump card in all of this is going to be the Pistons owner, Tom Gores. He may just supersede everything the front office says and say, you know what? Andre Drummond is going to be a Piston. He's going to be a Piston for the next five years um, and, and just pay him what that max number looks like, which could be in the range of 180? 190? Over five years? I mean, that's that's tough. That's a tough decision, but that's what is going to determine the, the course of these next few years and where the Pistons are going to go is what they do with this Andre Drummond dilemma with his contract. Drummond tiptoed around it and said that he would opt out and he would be a free agent, and it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. It wasn't a definitive, he's opting out, But I would think the Pistons are planning on him to opt out and at least test the market and see what's there. And if it's not there, then they can negotiate another deal to come back and have him to retain retain him on the roster. But that's, again, a, a tricky situation. And Andre Drummond talked about whether he's a max player. Here's a quick clip of what he had to say last week. I mean, that's the way he sees me as, and that's obviously the way anybody who sees himself as a basketball player. The hard work you put in throughout your whole life and just the dedication that you put in each and every day. No player should feel like they're not a max player. Every player should feel like they're worth that sum of money because the hard work and the sweat, and tears you put in each and every day. It doesn't matter if you're a basketball player or on and off the court. It doesn't matter where you are. I mean, the work you put in, you should be rewarded for. So it doesn't matter who you are. If it's me or it's, it can go anywhere from a rookie. I mean, everybody feels like they should make the maximum amount of dollars to you know, to play the sport they're playing. So in a, in a lot of ways, it's just common sense. If you go for a job interview and you know what the average salary is, you're going to ask for the maximum amount. And, and the market is going to dictate this. And I've always said this about Andre Drummond. When he got his max deal... First thing, his max deal is not Blake Griffin's max deal. There are tiers of max contracts, and people have to understand that. But the other piece of it is his wasn't entirely based on merit. He didn't have these eye-popping numbers that made you say he's the best center in the league. We're going to pay him max money in the sense of max money, the maximum allowed by in the league. Again, there are tiers to the max level contracts based on the years of service and years of experience in the league. And he got the max at his slot. There's a difference in one max and another max and another max. And pe- and fans in general don't understand that. And so they look at him and they say, Andre Drummond's not a max player. It doesn't have to be a max player. You just have to be in the right place at the right time. The Pistons needed a face of the franchise. Drummond was the face of the franchise at the time. And he was the best player. After letting... Uh, Greg Monroe go, they couldn't let Andre Drummond walk out the door right behind him and still build the roster the way they needed to. So this is the time where you got to pay the piper if they're going to retain him. And it's going to cost, again, somewhere in the range of, of $30 million a year, probably more than that even, to keep him around. And I'll get into more of the, the roster stuff and uh, season preview stuff next week in the next podcast. But I just want to give you a flavor of what we're looking at with construction, with Drummond's contract. Those are two of the bigger things coming in and how this team might be a little bit different than last year's team. want to pivot over to daily fantasy sports, and for those who don't know, that's your FanDuel or your DraftKings, and it's almost like uh, fantasy football, but instead of every week, it's every day. You can play with whatever slate of games that are there. It's an untapped population of readership, listenership, followers, and folks that are there, and it, it, the story about how I got into it is: a couple of years ago, there were people who were on Twitter and just asking, "Hey, how many minutes do you think Ish Smith is going to get?" I said Ish Smith, "That's weird. I mean, I don't know. Is normal, 18, somewhere in there." And so it mushroomed into, "Well, how many minutes is Boban going to get when Boban Marjanovic was with the Pistons? Well, Boban's going to get." His normal minutes. So the more I delved into it, the more I tried to figure out why people wanted to know this. And it was it was for their teams, their, their fantasy sports teams. It's part of my job, I would say, as a beat writer to try to find the best audience that I can. And I've tried to do that through the DFS stuff. But I didn't go looking for this. This thing just kind of came looking for me. And since then, it's really been... A really good a good find for me to try to interact with DFS folks. And it's again, it's not going out of what I already do. It is injuries, starting lineups. How many minutes do you think a guy is going to play? And for the most part, I don't know that. I don't go and ask the coach, hey, how many minutes do you think we're going to see from uh, Christian Wood tonight? But you try to eyeball it. You try to ask other questions that give you a good sense of what that answer is going to be. It's been a whirlwind. I mean, in in the very beginning, when I said that I was going to do some DFS content and try to cater to that group, probably the next day after that, I got 3,000 followers on Twitter just from DFS folks being happy that somebody was paying attention to them. And I've never seen anything like that. But I don't think I've had one bad experience about DFS stuff where I've given an observation and saying, hey, here's what I think works out if you see drummond playing against carl anthony towns drummond feasts on carl anthony towns in their head-to-head matchup so I, i would say something like hey that's a good play i i generally like drummond or the last two or three times i look at trends and there are any number of ways to do it but i just try to give you again the Moed index of what i see in those matchups or what I've seen in practice or minutes going up and down. And everybody has their own formula for how they're going to figure out what their team is going to be. And and here's my caveat, my disclaimer about DFS stuff. I'm not an expert. You're the experts, the people who play, because you're plunking down your credits to, to figure out which rosters you're going to play. Again, I'm, I'm giving you what I see. I'll give you starting lineups. I'll give you injury updates. I'll give you all of that. One of the bigger changes this year is the NBA has mandated that starting lineups have to be in 30 minutes before tip time, which is going to help because last year it was five minutes before you find out somebody's not playing. Or never forget, there was one probably a minute before they were doing lineups in the arena, they said someone was going to play and they had a change in the starting lineup and then they announced Joel Embiid was going to play again. So it was a whole kerfuffle, but now with that 30 minute thing and it can still change, but it's less likely to change if your coaches are submitting their lineups 30 minutes beforehand. But those are kind of my ground rules that I'm not going to do it every game. I'll give you some observations, some things that I see. And again, this is for entertainment purposes. I don't want you to say, Hey, Rod said drum is going to play 35 minutes tonight. So I'm putting the mortgage up on this. No, it's it's not for that. For entertainment purposes, from my perspective, entertainment purposes only. Now, if you win and you you ball out, then holla at your boy. i send you my Venmo and and we can or Cash App and we can talk. But no, it, it's um more an informational thing that I'm trying to to help people to set their lineups, give them the best information that I can, and go from there. Folks will say on Twitter too. Well, hey, why aren't more beat writers like this? And I've tried to do it as best I can and to go around to people and say, hey, look, they're really not asking you for a lot. They just want to know small things. So here's what I'll give you. Here's the best way to approach a beat writer if they are writing for a team and you want information. Say, hey, look, I know this is infringing on your time. I just need a quick, hey, do you have any idea how many minutes player X is going to play tonight? Or is there an injury update on this guy? Don't tell them it's for DFS because they already some of them already have in their minds that that's evil and it's it's not worth their time to interact with those folks. But just say hey, just quick question: Do you know if Joel Embiid is playing tonight, or do you know if Jimmy Butler's playing tonight? That's the best way to approach it. And some will answer, some will say, "Go kick rocks." You just got to deal with uh, the the writers that you're dealing with. But again, I've tried to go around the league and, and tell people it's. Nothing Nothing but help my situation of I made some good uh, interactions with folks. I've done DraftKings Live. I've uh, done any number of podcast requests and things like that about DFS stuff. And again, I'm not a deep in the weeds looking at usage percentage and um, how that impacts everything. I don't do that on an everyday basis. But as a beat writer, I can try to use the information that I have to help the DFS folks to do whatever they need to do to be successful in what they're doing. And that's no different than somebody who's picking up a paper in a coffee shop and reading about the team that I cover or other, any other team around the league or whatever. So that's my DFS rant. And again, I'll try to give you some observations and things as warrants or things that I see and trends that I see with the the Pistons specifically. And I'll highlight that too. I'm not going to get into a hundred other teams and who their players are. And and if this is a good matchup and blah, 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 I'm, Cover the Pistons, focus mainly on them, and I can give you my insights in the Moed Index based off those guys. So that's the best that I can do for you there. Uh, I said I'd do some road stories, and and I'll start with one from a couple of years ago in Los Angeles and just out there. And and James Edwards from The Athletic does a magnificent job for The Athletic. Uh, He and I were in L.A., and he said a friend had told him that Yassine Bey or Mostef and Talib Kweli were in L.A. and they were doing a concert and we had just missed it by a day, but it had gotten canceled for whatever reason. So just went online and looked to see where the where the concert was going to be. So it turned out we were staying at the one of the hotels around L.A. Live and then that concert ended up being right there at L.A. Live. So we're looking at Talib Kweli, Most Def, two dynamic hip hop artists. And I'll get into music and, and hip-hop music at another time in another podcast. That's another theme that I could hit on just about every week. But we were like, we got to hit this concert. So the, between the time that he said and we figured out that concert was going to be the next night in L.A., which was an off night, and the time that we had already booked tickets and paid for him, it had to be three minutes, four minutes. deaf Taleb Kwali, Black Star, if, if you're really into hip-hop and you know them as Black Star... If you get an opportunity to see them in concert, you go, no matter what the price was. And I think the tickets might have been 50 60 bucks. 60 We had such a ball at that concert. Dave Chappelle opened up for them. was just funny. And just to be able to see those two in concert, on the road, the schedule worked out that way, that it would be right there. It was within walking distance of the hotel in L.A. to see those two guys. It was a small, intimate facility that had maybe few hundred people wasn't even a couple thousand people but it was a dynamic concert one of the best hip-hop concerts I've ever been to and to see those two just go at it old school 90s 2000s era type hip-hop that's my my where I am in terms of hip-hop is is 80s 90s and depending on who it is in in the 2000s um, but anything pretty much after that I, I've tailed off and I don't listen to hip-hop the same sort of way that I used to but that's my my one road story was just how much fun that was to be able to go to a concert. When the stars align and you get most and qua, you better take that opportunity any way you can. But I'll give you, I'll regale you with the road stories and things that go on that uh, we want to share. And the last thing I want to hit on for this particular podcast is, is looking at writing. And uh, I've done any number of sort of. Talks in writing classes. I did one at Michigan State last week when training camp was up there at Breslin Center. Went and talked to um, a friend's writing class, and just looking at being a writer and what it takes to be a writer. It it takes a great level of confidence because it's one thing to write in your journal, write for yourself, but when you put it out there for the masses, you you got to have a different level of confidence in it and. You got to research it. You got to know it. You got to own it. You got to be your own. Try to just be your own thought leader, and and not care whether people agree with it or disagree with it. And it's the same with the Pistons, where any number of people will say, "Well, hey, Andre Drum is a bum," or "Reggie Jackson's a bum." Everybody's going to have your opinion about what you think, and there are reasons that. People think those things. There are reasons that I think. But I'm more logic-based than hot take. And If you've read my stuff or you've followed along on Twitter, you know that I'm logically based. I'll give you statistics, data, what I've seen, and mixed with other conversations that I've had with people around the league or or front office people or coaches or whatever the case is. So it's not always just based on numbers. Sometimes it's based on things that I've heard or things that I've seen around the league as well that kind of inform that. But for the people who want to be writers, you really just start where you can. It it can be for one of the blog posts or the team fan sites. It can be for Pistons Powered or anybody. And I hate saying names because I know I'm going to leave somebody else. Well, hey, why are you hyping up Pistons Powered? There are enough podcasts. I'll get around to everybody else as well. But there are a number of, of guys out there in Pistons Twitter land who... Uh, have really good points, who really can write well, but just don't have the platform to do it where a lot of people see it. So go around and and look at guys' work or, or women's work also uh, and what they're doing online because there's some really good stuff out there. If you just want to stay in the Pistons realm, then, then Pistons Twitter has plenty of guys who do good work. And uh, you can find that. But if you're trying to write, I would say start out with something like that. If you don't want to start your own website, Just start a blog or just start working for one of those fan sites and get your feet wet. Get some some very clear points that you want to make about what you're writing and just get it out there and just try it. It's not always going to work. Things that I've written haven't always worked. And I've kind of said, ooh, I could have done better on that. But you write it one time and then the next time you try to do better and you live with what you put out there that formulates your experience and your opinions and you everything else. So if you're an aspiring ra- writer, you're thinking about writing and what you want to do, I will tell you, um, and, and these are my, my things about writing too, I never complain about my job as a beat writer because there are worse things to do. There are people working in coal mines and people working in construction and, and who have it much worse than I do. So I'm never going to complain about my job and what I get to do. I absolutely love that I get to get up and write every day as my job and, and I always tell the story too. Whenever I go and talk to a class, I tell them how when I was younger, 10, 11, I used to be a, a delivery boy, a newspaper boy for the Detroit News and would deliver the paper and would throw it on people's porch and, and collect um, the money for that every year. And, and obviously things have changed since the 80s when I was doing that stuff. But it is, it's is—it's still a great joy when I write something that's that's in the sports section or on the front page and you're in an airport or you're somewhere and you get a hard copy of a paper and you say, buy Rod Beard at the top of it. That's something that I did. It's still a joy. And it's been 20 plus years in the writing business of putting work out there. But it's just something about holding that paper and seeing that that's something. And there are people all over the country, all over the world, when you factor in uh, the website at DetroitNews.com, that all of the work goes into and people appreciate it and and. People will email and, and along with their, hey, I hate Reggie Jackson or I hate Andre Truman, along with those, there are some that just say, hey, I'm a big fan of your work and I really enjoy what you do. And I still like those, still enjoy getting those. But I know that the, there's the other side of that of people, oh, your your point is is crazy that you think that Derrick Rose should be coming off the bench. I mean, that's, I mean, I got an opinion. You got an opinion. We don't have to agree on it, but my opinion very often is informed by a lot more information. Yours is you were watching TV and you, you, you're you mad that they lost a the game. Maybe it's something like that. So just the, the pieces about, about being a writer, and again, I'll hit on it. try to give it a little segment on a weekly basis of, of what that's like. It's not an easy thing. You can't just do it, take a writing class, and then come out and say, hey, I'm about to start putting out, put this work in, and put these stories out. It's just, it's There's so much more in terms of the grammar. And the structure. And the voice. And the everything else. And the most important thing as a writer. Is finding your voice. And figuring out what works for you. What works for your audience. And not even trying to, to please that audience at all times. Because again. In, in the sports writing business. Everybody's going to have a, a different opinion. About how things go. But I think we will try to wrap it up there. At least for this inaugural edition. Of the Rod and Reel Podcast guess we we could too have a uh promotional spot here if there are any sponsors out there any dfs people anybody else hit me up on twitter i dms are always open if uh, anybody's ever wondering as well about how they get in contact with me you can always hit me on twitter hit me with a dm and i try to get back on those and respond to those as quickly as i can this has been the first edition of the Rod and Real podcast covering Pistons, NBA, writing, road stories, DFS, a little bit of everything. Appreciate you taking the time to listen. We'll be back next week with a preview of the NBA season and the Pistons as well as they try to improve on their 41 and 41 season. Appreciate it. Check out all the coverage on DetroitNews.com. I'm Rod Beard. We'll see you next time.